Welcome to the Armageddon Retrospect Podcast. Today's episode is on the hierarchy of the Jehovah's Witness organization. I'm going to lay out some of the structure. Now, a believing Jehovah's Witness would probably bristle at the suggestion that there's a hierarchy. They would say that the organization is based off the scriptural principle that you're all brothers and therefore no one is above anyone else. Or what Jesus said in Matthew about letting no man on earth being called your leader. And so that's false. <laughs> the Jehovah's Witness organization is very much a top-down organization, a hierarchy. And let's, um, we're going to make that clear in, our, in what we talk about today, that that's exactly how things operate. Now, if a Jehovah's Witness came to your door and you asked them, who is your leader or who are your leaders, they would say Jesus is the head of the congregation and we have no need of a human leader or leaders. And then if you really tried to press them on that and you said, no, 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 there must, there must be someone, there, surely... Someone is making the calls, making decisions, and has something to do with the, the magazines you're trying to give me. And at that point, they might say, oh, yes, well, we don't have leaders, because Jesus said not to. But we have people who take the lead. And if at that point you start scratching your fucking head and thinking, what? Wait, what? Uh, that, that would be understandable because that's a very blatant case of doublespeak taking place. And so it's really just word games and semantics at that point. But it's very common within the Joe's Witness organization to say things like that. So they would continue to deny the fact that there are any leaders. And so let's go ahead and destroy that right now. Are there leaders in the Jehovah's Witness organization? Yes. Yes, there is. And so let's talk about who they are. And let's talk about how the authority starts with them and makes its way down to the average rank and file, Jehovah's Witness. Okay, the leaders. There is a group, and it has two titles, and I'm going to get into the titles in a moment, but this group consists of eight people, and these eight people all have penises, because that's required. If you want to have any leadership position within your organization, you have to have the right plumbing. Sorry, ladies, God is not a fan of the vaginas. He just isn't. He just isn't. And I apologize. I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you know, what can I say? So, yes, men. So there are eight mostly older men. And they are located at the headquarters in Warwick, New York. And these guys have the final say on everything that's of any consequence within the organization. Policy, doctrine, uh, organizational procedures. This is them. So nothing is going to happen of any consequence without their approval. 
that's just that's the bottom line and so these guys have the title of governing body that's one title and the other title is the faithful and discreet slave which i'll explain briefly in a moment the first title governing body is a title that appears in exactly zero fucking scriptures in the bible it's not a scriptural title at all it is a corporate title <laughs> and so Jehovah's Witnesses, if you kind of dig back into their history, are very much like a corporation with a religious front to it. And I know that's true of other religions, too, that have hierarchies and are structured in similar ways. But it's just the fact that Jehovah's Witnesses deny it so hard. But uh, they have this governing body, which is a corporate title. And that's why they, in my opinion, have the second title, which is ripped from the scriptures. <laughs> that's the only appropriate way to put it. They call themselves the faithful and discreet slave. Let me explain briefly. I can't unpack it all. But Jesus gave an illustration, an illustration of what a good Christian should be like. And of course, because it's the Bible, he had to use the example of slaves. So he talked about a faithful and discreet slave that was diligent. This is in, I'm sorry, this is in Matthew 24, 45 to 47. The slave would be diligent in carrying out his duties. And when the master returned, a.k.a. Jesus Christ, he would see that the slave was doing a good job and would confer even more blessings and responsibilities upon that slave. And that's what a good Christian is supposed to act like. And they don't take it as an illustration, first and foremost. They take it as a prophecy about them as a group. They say, we are that slave. Jesus already came back invisibly and chose us and conferred all those responsibilities and privileges on us to take care of the household. So we're in charge of feeding you. We're in charge of protecting you. We're in charge of all of that shit. And so they call themselves by that title. And no, as far as I know, no biblical scholar <laughs> or other religion has that interpretation of that scripture. But it's really just to give themselves some type of scriptural title. And it's also a way of for them to consolidate power in themselves. So they will say that, you know, like by them saying they're the only ones that can provide spiritual food, it means they're the only ones who can pump out the doctrine or whatever. And so it's very much a power grab. And, you know, recently um, they said that it's, you know, just them. That's just them. They really emphasize that. That's just them, just recently that they're the only ones that have that type of responsibility within the organization. Okay, so there's a governing body, faithful discreet slave. Now, in order to be on the governing body, jeez, I tried to explain all this. You have to be what's called anointed. And an, an anointed person is someone who, who is, thinks that they're going to go to heaven. Okay, let me explain. So you 
if you've never been to Jehovah's Witness, you might have heard the idea that there's only 144,000 people that are saved. And that's not actually accurate. What Jehovah's Witnesses teach is that there are 144,000 heavenly spots for people to rule with Jesus. And that's the only number of people of humans that have lived on earth that are going to go to heaven. Everybody else, supposedly there's a limitless um, number that could be saved and live on earth forever in the earthly paradise. So there's a heavenly and an earthly. Now, how do you know which one's which or which one you're going to go to? Well, they say you just know. <laughs> so so you just know. You just know. The, supposedly God's Holy Spirit tells you and bingo. You just know. And can anybody question it? No, they cannot. They say you cannot question somebody's calling. And you might wonder, well, why doesn't everybody just say they're anointed and they're going to heaven? Well, it's, they definitely tamp down that idea. They say, you know, if you think you're going to heaven, you're probably just off your meds. Or maybe you're just depressed or you've gone through some type of emotional trauma. Of course, that doesn't apply to us, but it applies to you if you're thinking that you might be going to heaven. So they really just try to dissuade people. So of the... You know, 8 million Jehovah's Witnesses, a very small percentage, think they're going to heaven. And then of that, there's an even much, 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 much smaller percentage of eight guys that are actually on the governing body. So uh, it doesn't matter if you're anointed. If you're not on the governing body, it doesn't matter. It, it basically it gives you no authority whatsoever. And, and both men and women can be anointed, and it just doesn't change anything for the man or the woman really um, so it's only if you are anointed and you get the call to go to the governing body and how does that happen well the governing body invites governing body members that's how it happens <laughs> so so much for God actually choosing so typically if you know they'll have their fingers on who are the people who are anointed and let's say one of the uh, old bastards kicks the bucket and goes to heaven, as they think. Then they might say, well, let's have a replacement. They don't have to, but I think they try to keep a certain number of guys on. You know, again, it's not a set number, but uh, they will invite a guy to come and be in the governing body with them, an anointed, another anointed guy. So that's kind of how the number is maintained as uh, people die off and whatnot. And so uh, I'll talk a little bit about that in just a minute, um, kind of what that process is like, because there's definitely, at least when I was at the headquarters or I wasn't, I was at Bethel, there was definitely a process to um, becoming a part of the governing body. So let me talk about that in just a moment. So yeah, that's, that's the group. That's the, those are the leaders. And those leaders, um, there's a bunch of layers to this cake, right? So just like any good bloated <laughs> bureaucracy, there are various committees and departments underneath the governing body. And the governing body are the puppeteers. And then these groups at the headquarters that they have their uh, fingers on, and they can kind of pull the strings and get those guys to carry out their ideas and their wishes and their authority. So let's just talk 
briefly about the six committees. So these committees, the governing um, body members will either be the chairman on the committee or sit in on the committee, and they might sit in on the various committees. And it's just kind of important to build out the structure a little bit. So first of all, there's the coordinators committee. So the big thing under the coordinators committee is the legal department. So there's a department at the, the at Bethel, aka the headquarters, even though they, they just call, uh, there's, there's various complexes and they just call one headquarters, but I'm just going to kind of glom them all together right now just to keep it simple. So headquarters, there's the legal department. Now legal department will handle everything from trying to get Jehovah's Witnesses legalized in countries where they're banned. They'll fight legal battles on behalf of Jehovah's Witnesses in that country, which uh, does happen. And they will also fight cases um, uh, regarding the mishandling of child sex abuse and trying to keep the names of um, pedophiles secret from their database. And they have a database of, of child abusers that they know about in the organization and they fight legally to not have to release those names. So that's what's going on in the legal department. And this kind of, again, I kind of mentioned the the dark underbelly and we're going to get into that in a little bit because this is important. So the legal department is very much a part of that <laughs> dark underbelly. There's also the PR department is under the coordinators committee. So they run the disinformation campaigns for the organization, trying to put a nice little uh, polish on that turd, making it look <laughs> good, <laughs> much, much better than it is. Uh, if there's any interaction with the media, a lot of times now with the um, child sex abuse scandals, their job is just basically saying we abhor child abuse and we have no further comment. That's pretty much all they say. Uh, Finally, the coordinators committee does disaster relief. So if a hurricane hits in another part of the country and it affects Jehovah's Witnesses or wherever in the world, they will arrange disaster relief for other Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay, second committee, personnel committee, very straightforward. They basically handle the personnel at the headquarters and at the branches around the world. They're responsible for inviting in volunteers kicking out unruly volunteers or reassigning people they don't want anymore or laying them off and also just kind of taking care of the people who are there volunteering making sure they're fed and have a room and all that good stuff all right publishing committee they are in charge of printing and shipping the bible literature worldwide they take care of the printeries and properties uh the extensive real estate portfolio that Jehovah's Witnesses have. Um, the construction, if they build a new church building or as they call them, kingdom halls, they're in charge of that. And they really, the big thing is they run the Jehovah's Witness Ponzi schemes. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, I think Brother Madoff is on, on that committee, but they just, a, a huge part of it is just lying to people and bilking them of their funds that's kind of under the publishing committee's umbrella there service committee okay this is important i'm gonna go off on a little tangent here the service committee ha handles all of like the preaching work all of that business but also all the 
this says in the actual publication, all matters affecting congregations, publishers, pioneers, elders, traveling overseers, missionaries. We're going to get into some of those different titles here in a minute. And so under the service committee is what's called the service department. And it's a department at Bethel. And what they do is if you have a case that's very complicated or um, the elders aren't sure how to handle it, or sometimes certain matters are you're required to call the service department for direction and so you will call in and get the service department and it might be the case that you have a child molester in your congregation that would be that has to go through the service department um you know that could be a rape or a murder or just anything serious and these things do happen as many Jehovah's witnesses because they're humans and this Unfortunately, this shit happens anywhere, even though they don't like to think about it or admit it. And that all goes through that department. And here's kind of an interesting point I wanted to, to mention is that um, when I was at the at Bethel or headquarters, whatever you want to call it, and I was volunteering there, when they invited in um, governing body members, what they would do is invite them into the service department in most cases and have them work in the service department for a couple of years and what I really think they were doing is trying to see what would happen when these guys saw this um, darkness these awful things happening within the organization and to see if despite that at the end of that time frame they would still be loyal and believers and it was kind of a test that's that's my opinion I am pretty sure it's what it was and then that would go to show that once you got to the governing body and you saw even more of the shit that happened on a worldwide scale that you would more than likely remain loyal despite that you had sufficient cognitive dissonance to <laughs> continue to think that you were um, running God's organization. So that's kind of an important kind of side note there on the service committee in the service department. Then there's the teaching committee. And they are in charge of anything that's taught, obviously. So if it's at a meeting, an assembly, a convention, if it's in any of their schools, a school for missionaries, uh, you know, wh whatever it is, schools to train elders, they hand down what's to be taught. So you can develop your own teaching style as a Jehovah's Witness, and you can use your own words and your own illustrations, but ultimately, you better not teach your own thoughts or your own opinions. It has to be the thoughts and the opinions handed down from the teaching committee. Finally, the writing committee, which is kind of works in harmony with that. They handle all of the written information, um, handle the website. They kind of as a little side note here, they have what's called the writing correspondence department. And so if somebody has a question, let's say you're Jehovah's Witness and you have a question, you read a watchtower, you're like, what the fuck does this mean? This doesn't make any sense. And you write in and you say, hey, I, can you explain this to me? And the the someone in writing correspondence will <laughs> probably craft like a six-page letter that just says, just read the fucking article again and then read this article and this article and this article that say that they all say the same thing as the first article you didn't understand or didn't agree with. 
and then if you write back again then probably they're going to dispatch the local elders to come around and tell you to well they'll tell you they'll say you can it's good to ask questions you can ask all the questions you want as long as you accept our answers <laughs> so either accept the answer and let it go or shut the fuck up and don't talk about it so <laughs> That's all kind of circles back to the writing correspondence. So I'm the, you know, get into that a little bit more in detail how that stuff comes down in local congregations. Okay, so you have these six committees, and the governing body is is running these committees. And now I want to talk about the second most powerful group, as as far as I can tell, of men that um, are at the headquarters, and those are the governing body helpers. Now, supposedly, they've been choosing helpers since 1992, but it just seems like recently they've really been trotting these guys out, these guys out on their their video programs or audio programs. They're they're much more, as far as I can tell, they have a much more public profile uh, these days. So there's a fairly large group of helpers. I don't have the exact numbers right now, but uh, they get to sit in on these committees, different committees with the governing body. And it seems like they would have probably the closest to a direct line of influence within the governing body. Now, I say that, but I, if I really, really think about it, I imagine that their day is like 97% kicking, kissing the governing body's ass and 3% of kind of indirect, tactful <laughs> recommendations or raising of concern about issues. That's how I imagine it going. And so these governing body helpers, the big group of them, they again, it's just they're just kind of like a support team for the governing body. And the governing body seems to use them a lot to get the message out as well on um, different platforms so under the governing body helpers I would say next are is, is the what's called the branch committee um, so Jehovah's Witnesses have different branches in different countries so if you think there's a, a branch in the United States there's a branch in Canada just as an example and so each one will have a committee and that committee doesn't have that much authority really it, the, again they're they're just controlled by the governing body and they can handle somewhat kind of just the day-to-day -day bullshit at the branch office um and they have a little bit of authority in that regard of running that branch a little bit <laughs> again i'm just trying to choose the right words here because i say running it but i mean that they're not actually running it um so, yeah, they're just kind of like these figureheads that are there at the branch on behalf of the governing body, and they're enacting the, enacting the governing body's policies and directives. So, but they, within the country, have a certain level of prestige and power within that country to be on that committee. So I would say they're kind of at the um, tier number three. And then, now let's, let's fan outwards now from, because we're, so far, we've just talked about what's happening at the headquarters or at the branches. And then that needs to get down to the congregations. Not 
obviously they're they're printing literature and publications and sending that down to the publications but that's just information and what the organization really needs for ultimate control is enforcement they need someone there to actually enforce the information and so that brings us to our next tier of the hierarchy which is which are the circuit overseers what is a circuit overseer well the branch territory is broken into what are called circuits a circuit is usually a grouping of, i believe of about 18 to 22 congregations it depends it's based on like a geographic location typically but it might be based on a a certain language that's spoken within a group of congregations and so the circuit overseer he will visit a different congregation each week and he delivers talks but and then he also meets with the elders and meets with the servants and makes sure that they are to the best of their ability carrying out the instructions given to them by the organization and by the organization i mean of course down from the governing body and so this guy has uh usually is usually someone who's charismatic but also um kind of powerful in their presence usually i'm not saying they're not they, they're not nice guys i i was friends with some of them but they are looking at things when they're there they're there to look at things to counsel people to correct things to fix things so they carry that about them and about their personality and so you'll if a circuit overseer comes he'll visit the congregation from tuesday to sunday he's giving sermons on what he sees as um some of it's given from the you know given to him what to talk about and then he is allowed a, a little bit of leeway he has to use information from the organization but he can kind of pick at what he sees as problems <laughs> in that congregation or in that circuit and that's kind of his big responsibility and i it just kind of makes me think about when i th this is what a circuit of share visit is like he's basically a regional manager right it, 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 did you ever work at have you ever worked at a franchise store or restaurant i i worked at mcdonald's when i was a teenager uh, and the we would get a visit from the regional manager and i remember the day before was this huge or not even just the day before the week before i mean we were mopping making sure there's making sure there's no expired ketchup packets <laughs> and like the bins that hold the ketchup packets and just wiping down the fryers and cleaning the fucking hoods and just everything fresh grease and like and just everything had to be made just pristine and perfect as possible and then this regional manager came and was working with you and inspecting everything and trying to make sure you were following the corporate policy and that everything was clean and up to speed and all that stuff right that's exactly that just maps perfectly onto what a circuit overseer does it's just like he visits the congregation and the week before a couple weeks before the elders and everybody is just almost like frantic trying to get the filing cabinet in order and making sure that this looks good and that looks good and this has been done and, and they just have these checklists and and making sure that everything is just as pristine as possible and of course he comes and he's looking for problems essentially and he's going to find them one way or another so <laughs> that's pretty much how it plays out he 
has the authority to um, ultimately he's the one who these days can appoint someone as an elder or you know delete someone as an elder and i'm going to talk about elders in a second or appoint or delete ministerial servants so he kind of he has these days he has the last word on that which is also a big deal so um he has even if all the elders think that someone should be an elder if he doesn't think that that's a good idea he can pretty much strong arm them and shut it down typically so yeah that's the circuit overseer uh he also you know a couple other things he does like organizing they have what are called circuit assemblies so he'll pick out who's going to give the parts and who's going to participate in the program and work in organizing that um and also has a, a, a role in the regional conventions as well which is a region is bigger than a circuit sorry i know this is confusing but whatever they have a bigger summer convention and he will have a role in how that plays out too so that's the circuit overseer i think that's good enough on um, those douchebags so under the circuit overseer course are the local elders and the elders there's no set number it can be as low as one elder um i was in that situation as a group a group overseer in a spanish group uh it can be upwards to 18 elders you know 20 elders i um when i was near the headquarters there was kind of higher concentration obviously of uh, Jehovah's Witnesses there, and there tends to be a higher concentration of elders, so you'd have some really big elder bodies. There's no set number, no limit. Um, yeah, so that being said, the elders are just in charge of, again, it's just a, a layer of enforcement. They are trying to get the rank and file Jehovah's Witness to um, do things correctly, to remain active preaching, to just carry out all these dictates that are coming down from the headquarters and uh they are just doing that weekly on that weekly level but they're delivering talks and sermons every week and they are they visit people at their homes what are called shepherding calls to try to correct something they see wrong or try to encourage people as they would put it um and they're in people's personal business and they're also in charge if somebody isn't doing what's right they're basically in charge of getting that person <laughs> kicked out of the congregation if it's a serious enough issue they can get them um, shunned excommunicated disfellowshipped however you want to put it uh they so they have quite a bit of authority over people's lives in the local congregations and sometimes they can be petty tyrants who are all about the policy and could care fucking less about the people and then sometimes you have very nice elders who try to put people before policy which isn't always easy with so many policies but they are genuinely pretty nice guys um so i just want to throw that out there that not all of them are horrible that being said as an elder you get a slew of what are called policy letters and you have your own special book um, on how to handle things so you are expected to carry out those policies and to enact that book and i just want to say that actually um just kind of tying all this together the fact that Jehovah's witnesses say they don't have a hierarchy and that the elders have a book 
that the rank and file can't see. The circuit overseers have their own manual and so on and so forth. As you go up the rung, <laughs> pretty much every level has its own manual or book that the lower tier of authority, if you're not if you're not in that same level, you can't see that book. So that right there tells you <laughs> that there's obviously a hierarchy there, that there's special books and manuals that not everybody can see and that you know just aren't available to everybody, even though it's just based on the Bible, as they would say. Yeah. So okay. The elders, right? So that's the elder body. Under the elder body are the ministerial servants, which are um, kind of like deacons. That's kind of the, if, if you've never worked Jehovah's Witness, but you went to a church, you might think of a deacon. They are in a support role for the elders. So they don't take the lead in teaching. They don't take the lead in, you know, those shepherding visits, but they might go with an elder to shepherd a family, or they might give talks or give parts, but they're just not in charge of the local teachings. Um, and a lot of the times they're doing kind of more mundane type tasks like um, handing out the literature because it'll be shipped to the, the, the local Kingdom Hall building and then that has to be distributed to the people who want it. So they might have that job or they might run the, you know, the amplifier, the sound system, the music for singing uh, at the meeting, things like that. Uh, just kind of handling the cleaning of the kingdom hall or working, doing the accounting for the the, car the local congregation. So it's just kind of stuff like that for the most part. Uh, the elders just basically dump all the shit they don't want to do onto the ministerial servants. And after the ministerial servants, um, and again, elders, ministerial servants, they are, uh, elders recommend other men to be elders and then the, the circuit overseer he can say or nay or push that through and the same thing applies to the ministerial servants uh, the elders look at men and might want to make them a ministerial servant and they can recommend them and then the circuit overseer can say or nay and they can appoint them that's kind of how that operation works okay hopefully that's clear um, i'm going to mention a layer of uh, it's not a position of authority but I just have to do this for the ladies. And ladies, you're gonna appreciate this if you're a witness. But then I'm gonna go I'm gonna talk about the group called regular pioneers. <laughs> so a regular pioneer is just someone who has signed a contract to go knock on doors or preach for at least seventy hours a month. And again, it, it does open to men or women. So women cannot <laughs> teach from the platform, but it, you know at at the church but if you are a woman you can go out into the territory or into the local city and they distribute their literature and um just knock on as many doors as you want and push that as as message as hard as you want proselytize so again it's not a position of authority but it is a position of admiration a lot of times, um, sometimes <laughs> disdain. Sometimes people don't like the pioneers because they think they're too zealous or that they're show-offs. Uh, but typically, it's, it's a position of kind of extra admiration and respect. They have their own little special schools, kind of like their own little clubs sometimes. So, yeah, so there's the regular pioneers. And then under them are just the publishers. Again, they would say everybody in your organization is a publisher. Um, 
but typically if you're just using the expression he's a publisher it's kind of like he's just a rank and file witness it doesn't it's not it's not pejorative um per se but it's just kind of just kind of the name of a rank and file witness so the publisher so that's the hierarchy kind of painted you a general picture of the top to bottom i just want to say that there's also a hierarchy nested in the hierarchy which is the Jehovah's witnesses believe that the family is a also a patriarchy so that the husband is the head of the household and he has the last word on everything in the house the wife can make some suggestions but she ultimately needs to submit to the what they call the headship um and the authority of her husband and then of course the children are meant to be obedient and in line with the parents so that is another little just a little form just kind of throwing that on the uh, as a side dish there and that exists within that structure so hopefully that is clear uh, let me know if you have any questions or reach out to me armageddonpodcast at gmail.com or on instagram at armageddon podcast please follow please like please share please give us some stars on the ratings on the uh, podcast app would appreciate that very much and we'll end this episode with an appropriate song of praise to our god jehovah christ gave gifts and men as shepherds who for us show real concern they expand themselves in service helping all god's truth to learn